Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Chris Chimes is made possible with the support of Pratt & Whitney with the broadest and deepest experience in all forms of aircraft propulsion. PrattWhitney.com TA Connections, the industry's most comprehensive airline lodging and crew logistics program. TAConnections.com Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines. And Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. SeaburyCapital.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at AirlinesConfidential.com. It's time for your weekly trip on the Airlines Confidential Magical Mystery Tour. Welcome to this week's show. I'm Chris Chimes, and we're glad to have you with us. And I'm Ben Baldanza, and I want to echo Chris's welcome. Each week, we are seeing more and more downloads of the program. We recently cracked our first 20,000s download in one month mark. Coming from an industry where we measure every aspect of operations, this is an important milestone for us as we start our third year of this podcast. So thank you for all the listening. Ben, uh, let me echo that. And I love the fact that our listeners are suggesting guests, and we even have people pitching their bosses and clients as guests. We've got some more guests in the pipeline, but every once in a while, we'll take a break like this week as we get caught up on our production demands. In the meantime, let's get to the news. First up, this past weekend, Southwest Airlines had a meltdown of sorts, canceling 1,800 flights on Saturday and Sunday, blaming the weather and staffing. As we record this, it's hard to say if this will continue into the week. This comes just a few days after Southwest announced their vaccine mandate for all employees. The Southwest Airline Pilots Association has already gone to court to try to block the mandate and issued a statement over the weekend denying any role, either organized or unorganized, with uh, the operational disruption. Ben, uh, what's your thinking on this? Well, as Linda Rutherford told us all last week, you know, this is a real tough time for the industry for staffing. And she told us some of the issues that Southwest is dealing with that. But this seems to have hit them particularly hard. It seems like a lot of the cancellations are from some of their biggest hubs. Uh, according to the USA Today, they say it's Denver, Baltimore, Dallas, Lovefield, Vegas, and Midway, which are all huge Southwest operations. So that makes me think it's got to be not only weather, but it's got to be a major employee issue too. I hope that it's not people revolting against their government-required mandate. I mean, as we talked about when she was on the show, Southwest and other airlines who participate in the Civil Reserve Air Fleet, the craft program, are government contractors. And so the federal mandate passed by the Biden administration says that to be a contractor of the government, you must have all your employees vaccinated. So Southwest was in the tough position, like other airlines, to say, we can get out of craft and lose millions of dollars of revenue, or we can mandate our employees to be vaccinated. So it's not like Southwest was trying to go against its unions or trying to do something that they weren't sort of compelled for other reasons beyond just the vaccine were required. So I certainly hope it's not because of that. I'm not going to say that I hope it was because of poor staffing by Southwest, but in a way I hope it was because that's something they could correct quickly. Yeah. I mean, the weather thing, 
you know, American, I think, had canceled 2% of their operation uh, on Sunday, and Spirit had canceled, like, I think I saw 4%, or Southwest canceled 28%. So the weather boogeyman kind of raises some questions. These are operational issues. The Southwest Pilots Association comment to the media kind of stuck it to management with regard to their poor planning on operations issues. So it seems like there's more to the story. My guess is by the time we go uh, on the air on Wednesday of this week, uh, we'll know more. But it's it's a foreshadowing of maybe some things to come on this uh, vaccine mandate issue. I think that's right. And let me say, Chris, I know sometimes we get on the edge of sounding political. So I'll say up front, I don't want this to sound political at all, which is if the government's going to spend any kind of infrastructure money, especially if it's measured by the trillions of dollars, right, whether that's one or five or anything in between, I certainly hope that some of that money would go toward upgrading the air traffic control system and the technology that today's modern airplanes could use. Because Southwest has also blamed not only weather, but their blame in weather is that air traffic control, you know, really slows them down when weather gets tough. And I have to believe that some solution to that long-term is a more modern air traffic control system. And I hope that, again, if the country's going to invest in building roads and bridges, those are the roads and bridges of the air, and they're pretty important. Okay, so let's change the subject from cancellations and vaccinations and COVID and whatever else. Let's move to India and Air India specifically, uh, the world's second most populous country had its share of struggles with its aviation industry over the years. Uh, and I know, Ben, you sit on the board of one of the carriers over there. Despite its playing an important role in the global technology and manufacturing sectors, Indian-based airlines have struggled uh, and Middle East and European carriers have been able to source most of that high-yield business traffic on the international level, while the domestic uh, industry might be doing fairly well international uh, lift out of India, not always successful. So the news last week was that Tata Sons, that conglomerate that owns everything from Land Rover to major manufacturing companies in the country, has taken a controlling stake in Air India, and that made headlines over the weekend. It's seen as a major accomplishment to the Indian government's efforts to privatize the airline which has cost the government something like $3 million a day for the past 10 years. So Ben, your take on this. Well, yes, Chris, I serve on the board of an airline called Go First, which is a privately held airline that is going through an IPO process right now. So they may be a public airline relatively soon if that process completes. And so I do know what's going on there. And what's really interesting about the Tata Group's purchase of Air India is that Tata is already a major investor in another airline in India called Vistara, which is sort of a business class oriented airline. And they're also an investor in Air Asia's Indian operation. It's called Air Asia India, and it's really quite separate and distinct from the Air Malaysia Air Asia. And so it's interesting that Vistara and Air India are really trying to attract 
the same kind of corporate customer and fighting for that long haul customer against carriers like Emirates and British Airways and Delta Airlines and airlines like that. In Go First case, they're primarily a, a domestic airline with only the A320neo as their fleet. So their international flights are to close-in destinations like Thailand or Sri Lanka or the Middle East, but not into Europe or the U.S. or anything. What's happening in India is just a, a massive restructuring of the entire air system. They're building dozens of new airports per year. The largest airline there, Indigo Airlines, has a 50% market share which is while that's terrific for them, it also constrains them in that it's not realistic that India is only going to have one airline or they're going to become a single 80% airline. So there's this fight for sort of the other half of India that's not Indigo. And that's being fought by the airline whose board I serve on, go first, as well as this restructuring that is certainly has to happen with three of the other airlines, the three other airlines, Air India, Air Asia India, and Vistara, now all owned by the Tata Group. So are they going to merge them all together? Are they going to let them compete with each other? Are they going to direct one to sort of do the domestic flying, another do the long haul flying? It's going to be a fascinating thing to watch. And one thing that a lot of our listeners may not know is that while India is a country of 1.2 billion people and is expected to be bigger than China over the next couple of years in terms of population, the total air system there only has 700 airplanes. That's smaller than Southwest Airlines in the U.S. Wow. And so the growth there is considered you know, enormous as the middle class grows there and as the economy there grows, because they do have very robust economies in a lot of the cities there. The younger generation doesn't want to spend the 15, 18, 20 hours on trains that maybe their parents tolerated. And so there's expected to be this massive growth in the aviation sector. And that's, I'm sure, why the Tatas are investing in Air India to try to be a bigger player in what everyone expects is going to be huge growth in Indian aviation over the next five to 10 years. Well, like all things Indian, you know, there's so many kind of fascinating backstories to culture and economy and and the like. So certainly the airline industry has its share of drama too. So, uh, you know, look, Tata has had multiple successes. Um, certainly getting Air India out of the control of the government is, is the best way for it to thrive. So let's see where that goes and uh, let's see where uh, the comp- competition goes as well. So Ben, heading west from India to London Gatwick, we haven't exactly been bubbly about BA's plan to operate a low-cost carrier out of Gatwick or low-cost service, and then we criticized them for blaming the pilot union when it didn't work. But it looks like their threat to pull out of Gatwick altogether and sell their slots got the attention of the union, and they announced a deal last week. Are you still lukewarm on this idea? Well, I would say I'm more than lukewarm. I'm uh, I'm maybe luke-cold. (laughs) Not cold, cold, but Luke cold. You know, there just hasn't been anywhere in the world, Chris, a successful example of a high cost business focused airline creating a low cost subsidiary based on anything other than paying the labor less. 
And it seems like they're trying to say that Gatwick is going to be a different focus than Heathrow, and they'll try to keep the fares high in Heathrow and the service levels high, but they'll maybe compete more with a Ryanair or an EasyJet by having lower costs at Gatwick, but they're not really going to make any big difference in the airplanes, and they're probably still going to not want to say you can't earn British Airways points if you fly on this airline, or at least IAG points. So if it really comes down to the only thing that makes the Gatwick operation lower cost is maybe they put a few more seats on the airplane and pay the pilots and flight attendants and mechanics less, then I don't think that's a long term for success. And while the pilots may have gotten shocked into agreeing to something when British Airways said they were going to sell the slots and pull out of Gatwick, I don't think it'll be long before they start feeling the animosity that always comes when you have people in one part of the company being paid one thing and people in another part of the company being paid another thing doing the same job. So I don't hold out hopes that this is going to be a long-term successful thing. Although I do feel more optimistic, if you want to use that word, that they'll actually get something off the ground. I just think in a couple of years from now, it's going to be problems for them. You know, we've kind of beat the subject to death, but I felt uh, a bit of obligation to bring it back up because it was in the news and we talked about it and I just wanted to update our conversation you know, since management went out of their way to blame the pilot union when it failed previously, it would have been nice for an olive branch kind of gesture with some positive remarks. I didn't see any. Maybe they were out there, but I just didn't see any. So, again, it's a steep hill, like you said, and um, we'll just have to watch it. That's right, Chris. And the other thing is, I don't think the pilot group there is going to forget how this happened. And I just have this sneaking suspicion that it's going to come back to bite IAG at some point. I hope I'm wrong about that, but I think that's more likely than not. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll gladly take our lumps when we're wrong. <laughs> that's right. Well, Seabury Capital Group is a specialty finance and investment banking firm boasting a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace and defense, and financial services and technologies. Seabury Capital Group's award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge along with state-of-the-art analysis, technology, and solutions, as well as an unmatched depth of relationships with decision makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. And a reminder to our listeners that Travel Alliance and Hotel Connections have come together to become TA Connections, which provides intelligent, integrated, flexible suites of applications that allow airlines to deploy an industry-leading mix of augmentation and automation tools configurable and personalized to your unique needs. Learn more at taconnections.com. TA Connections is a fleet core company and the world's leading provider of technology and services for crew and passenger logistics management. So Ben, uh, on the news front, as we get closer to home here in the U.S., United Airlines made some news this past week by announcing their winter schedule that will fly 3,500 domestic flights in December, its largest domestic schedule since the pandemic was declared in March 2020. The heavy summer travel season put a lot of stress on most carriers. So how are you feeling about this news? Well, it doesn't surprise me. United has been aggressive on multiple sorts. They certainly have gone out and have 
created at least a public perception that they figured out this whole vaccine mandate better than others, right? They got out there first, said a lot of their people are vaccinated. If there are problems within the company, I don't know about them, and they've certainly kept them relatively quiet. So now maybe they're using that momentum to say, look, the next big travel periods for this fall are going to be Thanksgiving and the traditional December holiday periods when the same kind of traffic that filled up airplanes this summer probably wants to fly again. And certainly uh, there hasn't seemed to be much of a slowdown in the industry due to the Delta variant in terms of the leisure traffic side of things. There may be still, that may have delayed corporate business a bit with companies delaying returning to offices and things like that. But United has been building its hubs, building its domestic um, market, largely because they understand that the long haul international markets have a a longer pull in this tent in terms of um, demand recovery. So I think they're probably doing the right thing. And my guess is they learned from this summer, as all airlines did, of how to think about making sure that we, as an industry, align the company's operations with the practical reality of the number of people working and the ability to schedule crews and airports and things like that. So I... I guess I kind of trust United that they've had enough time and because of the summer the industry just went through, probably aren't going to mess it up a second time. And what they're saying is they're putting a big stake in the ground and they're saying, listen, Southwest, listen, American, listen, United, I mean, listen, Delta, we're going to be an important domestic player too, not just an international player. And we're doing that by building these big hubs we have on the East and West coasts and in the middle of the country. Ben, you took the words out of my mouth with regard to their leadership on the vaccination front. You know, we talked a fair amount on the show about Scott Kirby and his team being bold and not being afraid to be bold. And so I I read this announcement and to me, it underscored the brilliance of their getting this vaccine requirement out there early and over with, they know who's vaccinated. And it's just about everybody. American and Southwest have, we think, thousands of pilots who are not vaccinated. They've been given until December 8th to get vaccinated. And so that's all behind United. Um, I think they can schedule with confidence and some of the other carriers are going to have another six weeks or so of coaxing employees to um, get vaccinated and to be able to fly those schedules. So, um, you know, I think the United team uh, continues to show some leadership that um, is going to pay off in the end. Finally, Ben, while U.S. and European carriers don't really want to go there, several APAC carriers have announced vaccinated-only flight operations for passengers. First Qantas and Air New Zealand, and now Air Asia out of Malaysia. Do you think this has any legs? Well, Chris, it may in Asia, and I'm sure that the European and U.S. airlines are watching this really closely to see what happens to bookings in those areas, see how the consumers there react. In some ways, certain markets in that side of the world have been more restrictive and more locked down than we have been in the U.S., For them, it might not seem like as much of a stretch to say you have to be vaccinated to be on an airplane. 
the U.S. airlines and the European airlines have invested so much time and money in explaining that the airplane is a relatively safe place to be in terms of the airflow and the additional cleaning they do and things, much safer than restaurants or grocery stores or things like that. So to get to the point where they would support that you have to be vaccinated to even fly, I think would be a long way for the European and U.S. airlines to get to. I'm pretty confident that A4A would say that's not a good idea. It's not going to be good for bookings and that's not good for airlines when that happens. And with the more and more people being vaccinated, it also suggests the point of, well, is it that important? to say that. Yet at the same time, if looking to say, how do we make the world much more difficult for those who aren't vaccinated? Well, telling them they can't fly is another way to do it. I don't think that's great for the airlines, though. That's my view. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. I mean, I'll take Australia as an example. In the cruise sector where I work, we still don't have any line of sight when crews will return. They are taking a very, very conservative approach. And so this vaccination requirement for passengers is an indication of how that country is trying to manage the pandemic. But I can't see this working in other parts of the world. It, it, it Maybe culturally and regionally this works, but I can't see this going very far, at least with the trend lines and that we're seeing and the availability of vaccines more prevalent. Coming up, we'll take some listener questions, but there's no question that Pratt & Whitney's GTF engines are redefining aviation with up to 20% lower fuel burn, 50% fewer regulated emissions, and 75% smaller noise footprint. GTF engines have no comparison. This revolutionary geared turbofan engine is allowing airlines and airports to open new routes and fly more people farther with less fuel and much lower noise. Learn more at pwgtf.com. The Airlines Confidential Podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at airlinesconfidential.com. Welcome back to Airlines Confidential. It's time for us to take your questions. Remember, you can leave a question on our voicemail at 202-964-0177 and we'll play back your voicemail on the air. Or you can email us at questions at airlinesconfidential.com or visit our website at airlinesconfidential.com and follow the prompts. We're available on all the major podcast platforms, and you can ask Amazon Alexa or Google Assist to turn us on. Just say, play the Airlines Confidential Podcast. Our first question, Chris, is from Alex in Louisville, Kentucky. Greetings, gentlemen. As an airline pilot, it's both amazing and shocking to see the latest passenger behavior while traveling by plane. It seems that people have lost all the respect for airline employees, especially crew members. Just look at the recent incident of Spirit Airlines Flight 3044 in Atlantic City. I was disgusted by seeing how passengers behave during the rejected takeoff. Flight attendants were giving clear instructions while passengers were out of control and completely misbehaving, being more concerned with opening the overhead bin to collect luggage rather than finding the nearest emergency exit or trying to 
assist the crew with the emergency egress process really proves that passengers these days are very uneducated about the air travel process. So as airline executives, don't you think it's time for the various airline institutions, such as IATA, ATA, ICAO, ALPA, etc., to be running education campaigns to better educate the flying public? It's very evident to me that people feel more empowered now that social media is readily available, often questioning crew members on instructions and procedural requirements. By the way, I love your show. Cheers, Alex. Chris, what do you think of this idea? Well, thanks, Alex. I think there's a lot of merit to it. I think we need to put it in the broader context. I mean, I'll use that as an example. I've got a very close friend who's the superintendent of schools in a small district in in eastern Pennsylvania. At every school board meeting, before the session starts, they discuss where the nearest exits are and safety measures because the rowdiness of parents and community leaders coming to the school board and getting very vocal and very aggressive with the school board leadership. You know, we see that at restaurants. We see that in so many different places now where uh, people are questioning authority, uh, whether it be they're fed up with masks or the COVID rules or whatever else. It's unclear and it's also unfortunate. I I think that the scary part of this is there are, are narrower safety margins when you're flying in an aircraft than when you're dealing with a rowdy bunch of parents at a school board meeting. So we need passengers on aircraft to follow the rules and to get off quickly in an emergency or whatever it might be. So are these folks going to listen to a public education campaign if they're already kind of checked out? Probably not, but should we try it anyway? Probably. You know, I think as the world returns to normal, I think that industry and employee groups and unions and government groups all need to come together to kind of say, look, as we move forward, what we just experienced can't happen moving forward because of the safety implications. But, you know, I'm amazed every time I fly about how people behave. And it has nothing to do with masks. It just has to do with the rudeness, like Alex points out. Yeah, and it's amazing. That rudeness you see, like you said, in a lot of places other than airplanes too, but airplanes can be particularly dangerous places to work those things out. It's interesting if the Justice Department is willing to say that certain behaviors in school board meetings could be considered domestic terrorism. I wonder if that would ever be applied to disruptive airline employees. I'm not saying I like that idea or the or the sort of liquidation of that sort of you know, really difficult moniker, but it's crazy to me that people do what they do and have the sense that they're entitled to act that way and will get away with it. That's the thing that is the thing that bothers me the most, I think. Yeah, I recall a couple of years ago being on uh, in a first class seat on an American Airlines flight and a family brought on two dogs and they had service animal vests on them. And then those dogs proceeded to jump all over the first class cabin, you know, leaping from seat to seat. And, uh, you know, I've been involved in some fundraising for service animals and service animals don't jump on furniture (laughs) or jump around an aircraft. They, they find their place to sit quietly or, or lay down. And again, it just, you know, that led to the rulemaking, which banned a lot of animals on, on aircraft, but, but, 
the entitlement, like you said, of this family thinking they can just buy these fake vests and sneak people on and then get aggressive when the flight attendants started asking them questions. So, you know, we just see this in too many places. And um, certainly uh, aviation safety calls for some new measures to educate the public and also get better cooperation. You know, Chris, I hope I'm right about this, but I hope when businesses really start traveling regularly again, some of this also goes away because there's just a little different mix of people on the airplane. I'm not saying that business people don't get upset, but they also fly enough that they tend to know the rules of the road and not only will not behave that way because it's so important for their life, but also might be more vocal to step up and try to stop it when they see it. But with none of those people on the plane right now, I think that's one of the things that has made this summer particularly difficult. Yeah, I tend to agree. We kind of sound like we're elitist a little bit, but I think that that's accurate, unfortunately. So, Ben, we've also got a comment uh, and a question from our listener, Yoni in Lawrence, Kansas. Hi, Ben and Chris. I have a follow-up to the finer wine about a Delta flyer who is mad that they would be receiving the same benefits as folks who got their status extended, even though they didn't qualify, and he did. Quoting from Delta's material, it says here, quote, members who earn status in 2021 will receive additional benefits as a special thank you for their continued flight activity. Starting February 1st, 2022, those who earn 2022 status, underscore earned, will clear for complimentary upgrades ahead of those at the same tier level whose status was automatically extended. And platinum and diamond medallion members who have earned status will be able to select choice benefits. So then my question is, why is every new U.S. airline, i.e. Avello and Breeze, full of ex-Allegiant people? Is Allegiant the new darling like Southwest used to be? Back in the day, they said Southwest could never do anything wrong. Has Allegiant taken their place? Thanks again for the great content. Well, thanks a lot, Yoni, and thanks for clearing up that language from Delta. And I think that makes a lot of sense. It makes sense to say, look, if you actually earned the status, you may have the same name as someone who we granted status to, but we're still going to treat you a little bit better in some ways. And I think that's logical, and this language does sort of clear that up. I hope that's what other airlines with big frequent flyer programs that extended their members also do, something like that. So now to your question, I think it's full of ex-Allegiant people in part because Andrew Levy used to work at Allegiant, so he probably recruited a lot of those people into uh, Velo, at least. For Breeze, I'm not sure, but sometimes when the new airline starts, people look for a new start. And Allegiant is an airline that's based in Las Vegas. Maybe you don't want to live in Las Vegas, and so you want to live where Breeze would let you live. Or maybe... Allegiant just is willing to let some of their people go in order to keep their costs lower by bringing in lower new hires. So I'm not sure about that. Allegiant also understands the low cost business really, really well. So my guess is that both Avello and Breeze want some of that low cost DNA, for lack of a better term, 
in not only in the sort of the person who started the company, but in the inner workings of the company. So looking at places like Allegiant, Spirit, Frontier, JetBlue are probably the places they most want to recruit from. Thanks again for the great content, though. Yeah, I think that that's accurate, Ben. I mean, these startup airlines aren't trying to be Southwest. They're not trying to be United. They're trying to be kind of the new generation of carriers. So you're going to go looking for the talent there. That just makes makes sense. That's right. Well, Finer Wine is next, but if you don't want to whine about airport security, you'll enroll in Clear, which makes travel safer and easier. Become a member of Clear and you'll enjoy frictionless journeys when you use Clear's home-to-gate feature, which lets you know exactly the best time to leave for the airport. Plus, Clear's signature airport experience helps you move seamlessly through airport security. Where will you go? Get back out there with Clear. Ben, our finer wine this week is from Susan in Phoenix. I had the most uncomfortable situation on a recent American Airlines flight from Phoenix to Charlotte. I was sitting in first class, and the mother and daughter sitting in front of me were drinking glass after glass of wine the entire trip. They were getting louder and more obnoxious with each passing hour. They never wore their masks because they were drinking the entire flight. When we landed, they were clearly drunk and were falling all over the rest of us as they were getting their overhead luggage, all without their face masks. I nicely asked the daughter to please put on her mask, and she ignored me. And then after the second request, as she pushed her way by me, she said she couldn't find her mask. The flight attendant holds some responsibility here for serving them so much wine and not enforcing the airline policy and making the rest of us feel uncomfortable. Ben, is this a fine or a wine? And no pun intended about the wine without the H. Well, that's a funny ending, but I actually think this is fine. I don't think this is a wine or a wine at all. (laughs) You know, there are airlines out there who have temporarily suspended offering alcohol because they don't want to do what they see as potentially pouring gasoline on the flame we talked about earlier of bad customer behavior. In American Airlines first class, obviously, they've not made that decision yet. Yes, the flight attendants could have maybe been a little bit more careful, but they're in a tough situation too about forcing the conflict to say, I think you've had enough to drink. I'm not going to serve you more. That's not the kind of conversation that's going to go well to somebody who's already had a few drinks, probably. So if they were sitting in their seats and maybe not causing a big problem, although not wearing their mask could be seen that way, um, they probably said, well, it's easier to just serve them another glass of wine When it got to the point where they were standing up without their mask, getting their baggage without their mask, saying they couldn't find it, then I would have liked the flight attendants to step in and maybe been a little bit more forceful there. But again, I'm not going to blame the flight attendants here at all. I think it's fine that you thought this was not the right kind of behavior, and I don't think it's a whine at all to say that People should be responsible for their behavior on airplanes. And yes, maybe we put a little bit on the flight attendants at the deplaning for maybe being a little harder. But at that point, the damage was already done. So thanks for bringing us this story. Let's hope this doesn't happen too often. Yeah, I agree with your assessment, Ben. And I probably, we've talked about this a bit from time to time too. You know, I think this is an appropriate time to, 
submit a comment uh, via the, the airline's app or website or whatever and just make a constructive observation. Just like this letter writer suggested, which was she was uncomfortable and she thought it could have been handled better and, you know, see what the airline says. Yeah, well, Susan, Americans should do something for you, I think, whether it's either refund your flight or make your next flight a little bit cheaper, uh, while at the same time thinking about what this means for the way they handle people, whether it's first class or coach. So my shout out this week, Chris, goes to Mehdi, the boy who was born on a Turkish Airlines flight from Istanbul to Chicago. And this boy was born on an airplane, not the first person to be born on an airplane, but the first one, I think this year, (laughs) and uh, was born over the skies of Europe. So there are questions about what his uh, nationality is. But I just have to think that a boy born on an airplane has aviation in his blood for (laughs) sure. And I hope to see Mehdi working in our industry in 20 years or so. An Airlines Confidential listener in the making there. There you go. Congrats to Mehdi and his parents. And my shout out is to the Qantas team, which flew a record-setting flight this past Tuesday, October 5th, from Buenos Aires to Darwin, Australia, over Antarctica, 15,000 kilometers or 9,300 miles in 17 hours and 25 minutes. It was the world's longest commercial flight on record. The flight was repatriating 107 Australians back to their home country. So well done, mates. And to all you mates who joined us this week, thank you. We'll see you back here next week for another edition of Airlines Confidential. Have a great week. And Chris, I'm going to have to go look at my globe after this and see the way that flight really flew. That sounds (laughs) fascinating. Have a great week, everyone. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.